Wow, God is good, right? It's some exciting, yeah, we can give it up. Give it up to God for changing people's lives. Like, this is, this is super awesome, and I'm so glad that we have a front row seat to what God is doing. And as if things couldn't get any better, we're also celebrating Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Hey, something that I love about Christmas is that we celebrate it in the wintertime. Like when the days get darker, the temperature gets lower, it's really nice to have a holiday and something to look forward to and celebrate with family. And there's just something different about the Christmas season. Like when it snows anytime after Christmas, I'm like, oh man, I've got to go out and shovel my driveway. But if it snows before Christmas, then it's like, woohoo, white Christmas, run to the backyard, take pictures for the Christmas card. It's just different. And we all want to have that picture-perfect Christmas. And maybe that's how your Christmas season is shaping out to be, like that Hallmark Christmas where your living room is perfectly decorated, you have the most romantic relationship, everybody's one big happy family, picture perfect, right? All right. I would, if this is what your Christmas season is like, I am so happy for you, but I know for a lot of you here this morning, this is not describing your Christmas season, like not even close. You might relate a little bit more to a Christmas season kind of like this. <laughs> You know, just crazy, unforeseen things happening, like hitting your trailer, backing out of the driveway. <laughs> Who plans on that? Like, have joy. Woohoo! There, there's so many things in life that are just so tough. And that doesn't stop in the Christmas season. I mean, some of you, you're making trips to the hospital or doctor's appointments. That's not what you'd planned on for Christmas, or you're watching a loved one. Just wrestle with their health. But for some of you, what makes the Christmas season pretty difficult is grieving a loved one in your life who has passed away. And that loss, it might not be recent, and even if it's not, I think what makes the, any holiday season kind of tough is you think back to memories with that person, and they're not there with you now. And that's hard. And for some of you, what makes this season kind of difficult is conflict in your relationships. All these family gatherings kind of remind you of some of the things that are a little dysfunctional or tense. And maybe this is your first Christmas season separated from your spouse. Or maybe you have adult children who are not coming to celebrate Christmas with you. And that hurts. That is, that is some tough stuff. And if you are going through this, you might be asking yourself the question, when will things get better? Now, things have got to get better, right? I mean, God is loving. He doesn't take pleasure in us going through hard times and suffering and feeling pain. And God is in control of everything. And if he's in control of everything, then he can rescue you from whatever it is that you're feeling. He can put back the broken pieces of your life. And maybe you've been praying and you've been calling out to God, just asking him to make things better in your life. And it feels like God is not answering that prayer. So when will things get better? And to be honest with you, I don't know the exact answer to that question. I don't have the timing for you. But what I am very confident of is that someday, if you are a follower of Jesus, 
things will get better. And everything that I just mentioned earlier, suffering, grief, conflict in relationships, disappointment, these are all things that came into this world when humanity sinned against God. And we know from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, that when God created the universe and everything in it, he created it good. It was perfect. There was no sin. There was no brokenness. All of this sin, brokenness, disappointment, just hard stuff in life is a result of humanity sinning against God. But we know that isn't the end of the story. And the last book of the Bible, Revelation, gives us a glimpse of the end of the story. And we know that someday God is going to restore relationships. He's doing that today. And through what Jesus did on the cross, we can have a relationship with God. And he's, restore, he's going to restore creation in this world to how it was before sin broke everything. And so this is when things are going to get better. And God is going to do this through the Messiah. Now, Messiah is a pretty big Hebrew word. You probably don't hear it much today. The Greek word for Messiah that you might be more familiar with is Christ. And in English, we would just say like the chosen one or the anointed one. And right from the very start, when sin entered this world and things were broken because of sin, God began to unfold his plan to make right what was wrong and heal what is broken. And so we're going to take a quick look at that from the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. And we'll just spend a little bit of time here. Just a quick backdrop to what's going on. God creates the world. Everything's good. The first humans, Adam and Eve, were tempted to disobey God's one command that he had for them. Satan, the enemy of God, came in the form of a serpent and tempted them to disobey. They gave in to that temptation. And that's why we have sin and brokenness in this world. And then God confronted the first humans, Adam and Eve, and he also confronted the serpent, Satan, who had tempted them to sin. And this is what God says in verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all animals, domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. A lot of scholars will call this the first gospel. This is the first time that we start to see God's plan for fixing this broken world. And there's a few interesting things that we learn from this passage. This person, this chosen one, who is going to be victorious over Satan, is offspring of the woman. It's interesting that God emphasizes the woman and doesn't really say anything about this chosen one being offspring of the man. Uh, another few things that are interesting here is it talks about Satan having a small apparent victory over this chosen one, striking his heel. But then this chosen one having an ultimate victory over Satan. And so this is where we see that sin and brokenness entered this world, but there is hope, and God is going to send somebody who will make things right, who will overcome the tempter. And 
Eve, the first human, thought that this would be through her first son. She had a son. His name was Cain. And she thought, maybe this is the chosen one that God was talking about. And if you know the story, Cain was not the chosen one. He turned out to be a murderer. And then Eve had more children, but they were not the chosen ones. And so hundreds of years go by, maybe even thousands of years go by, and this chosen one, this Messiah, still hasn't come yet to pick up the broken pieces of this world and make things right. And then there's this man named Abraham. And some of you know a little bit about Abraham. And God came to him and promised that he would make him the father of a great nation. He said that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And we know now that all the nations of the world would be blessed because the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham. And Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac was not the chosen one. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob was not the chosen one. And just a fun fact, Jacob had a name change later in life, and his name switched to Israel. And so that's where we get the children of Israel, or the nation of Israel. And Jacob had 12 sons that make up the 12 tribes of Israel, and we're just going to take a look at his one son named Judah. And at the end of Jacob's life, he gathered together all of his sons around them, and he blessed his sons, or rebuked them, depending on how they had lived their life. And when it came time to say something about Judah, this is what Jacob said. He said, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all the nations will honor. And so from this blessing, what we learn is, and this is prophetic, that there is going to be a ruler that comes from the line of Judah, and all the nations will honor this ruler or this king. Well, if you kind of pick up on the pattern, you could guess hundreds of years go by, Still, we don't know who this is. And uh, maybe you know a little bit about King David. He comes from the line of Judah. He rules over Israel. But guess what? He's not the chosen one. And then hundreds more years go by, and still the chosen one isn't there. And God keeps giving all of these prophecies or glimpses of like, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, this is what he's going to look like, this is what he's going to do. But over the course of thousands of years, the Messiah still had not arrived. And we're going to take a look at just one more prophecy about the Messiah's coming. And this is from a prophet named Zechariah. He says, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And so from this prophecy, we're reminded that this Messiah is going to be a king. We know that he's righteous and victorious. Maybe even uh, what we read about in Genesis, like victorious over Satan. And he's humble. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible before the time of Jesus there are more than 300 prophecies about the Messiah. Now, we don't have time to look at any more of them, but I just want to bring this up for the sake of, just imagine, 
All of these promises, all of these prophecies, over a span of thousands of years, people are waiting for this Messiah to come and to make things right and to be their deliverer and to overcome Satan. And they keep waiting and waiting. And it feels like this Messiah just isn't coming. And then sometime after the time of Zechariah, there's what we call the 400 years of silence. And there were no more prophecies about the Messiah coming. And I think a lot of people during this time, they just gave up hope. In all of this waiting, they're like, is this Messiah even going to come? Are things even going to get better? And at this time, the nation of Israel is living under the oppressive rule of the Romans. And they're just, they're waiting for that deliverer. And when so many people had given up hope, we're going to take a look at two people who continued to wait for the Messiah. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and starting in verse 25. And we'll, we'll have it up here on the screen as well. It says, At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple, so that when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. So what we learn here is that this Messiah, that everybody's been waiting for to make things right again, is none other than Jesus Come into this earth in the form of a baby. And this man, Simeon, all throughout his life didn't give up his hope. He kept on believing that God would be true to his promise. And he wasn't just like reluctantly waiting for the Messiah. It says he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah. Now to be totally honest with you, if I was living at the time of Simeon, I don't think I would be eagerly waiting. I would be the kind of guy that's like, Ah, God promised the Messiah thousands of years ago. He's not here yet. It could be another thousand years before the Messiah comes. Why should we even have hope? Why should I give all of my attention to waiting or even be excited about this? Because to be honest with you, the way that I cope with waiting is I don't let myself get excited. Because I'm afraid if I let myself get excited, then I'm just going to be disappointed if it doesn't work out, or if the timing isn't how I want it to play out. And so instead of getting excited, because I don't want to get disappointed, what I'll do is 
I'll just like put my head down and focus on other things and not even give any attention to whatever it is that maybe I should be waiting for. And I don't think that this is how God wants us to wait for his promises. This isn't how Simeon waited for God's promises to come through. And God blessed Simeon as he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah, and he had the honor and the opportunity to get to meet Jesus in person. And now we're going to take a look at another person who is also waiting for the Messiah to come. In the very next verses here, verse 36, it says, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Peniel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. In that whole time of waiting, Anna didn't give up on hope. She didn't give up on God. And instead of becoming more distant in her relationship with God in that time of waiting, she drew closer to God through prayer and fasting. And I think that God blessed her and gave her that opportunity to see Jesus with her own eyes and then to go around and tell all the other people who were waiting for the Messiah to come. She was like, I've seen the Messiah. He is here. His name is Jesus, and he's, he's here as a baby. It's such an incredible honor and so exciting. But what does this mean for us? How does this make any difference in our lives today? I mean, we're not waiting for Jesus to come the first time like Simeon and Anna. But we are waiting. We're waiting for things to get better. And during his time here on earth, Jesus fulfilled a lot of the prophecies about his life. Remember that prophecy from Zechariah about the Messiah riding on a donkey? Jesus fulfilled that. And that's what we call Palm Sunday. Remember that prophecy about Satan striking the heel of the chosen one? having that small apparent victory, I think that is fulfilled in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Now, like A lot of us today would see that's a victory for God because on that cross, Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God if we believe in him. But that very day, when Jesus was dragged away and nailed to a cross, it didn't look like a victory all of these people were looking to Jesus to be their hero, their deliverer, to free them from the oppressive rule of the Romans. And then they watch him be nailed to a cross and die a criminal's death. That didn't look like a victory for God. That looked like a victory for Satan. But it was a short-lived victory. Because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, showing that he is more powerful than sin and death. And so Jesus fulfilled that prophecy, but what is yet to be fulfilled is Jesus' ultimate victory over Satan. There is still a day 
yet to come when Jesus will come back, make things right, and live as that perfect king and fill that hole in our hearts. There will be that day when he takes the wrong things of this world and make them right. There will be a day when he takes what's broken and injured and heals it. There's a, way when he will, a day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, be that perfect comforter, and we can be there in his presence. And no matter what you're going through now, no matter how difficult the season of life might be for you, there will be a day when it will get better. If you are a follower of Jesus and you believe in what he did for you on the cross, we're just in this season of waiting, waiting for Jesus to come back and waiting for things to get better. So how do we cope with this waiting? Well, even when God's timing feels unlikely, even when the waiting is tough, we can actively rest in God's promises. And that's what Simeon and Anna did. They had all of those promises throughout the Old Testament. And they continued to believe that God would be true to his word, even if his timing wasn't what they were waiting for. And I still believe that, that Jesus is going to come back someday. Even if the timing isn't what we would expect, God always follows through with his promises. And even when God's timing feels unlikely, we can also... Um, Go to the next point here. We can wait with praise, fasting, and prayer. And that's what Anna did. Instead of being more distant in her relationship with God in the season of waiting that she was in, she drew closer to God through prayer and fasting. And I don't know what this looks like for you, but if you are struggling this Christmas season, if there are some really tough things going on in your life, then maybe what you should do is just set aside some time with God and just pour out your heart to God. Whatever it is that you've been carrying, that weight, that burden, your discouragement, your emotions, your frustrations, just let it all out and tell God. He can handle your emotions. And this isn't the kind of thing that like hurts your relationship with God. I think it can make your relationship with God even stronger. And that can be so important in that season of waiting. And I don't know why... God's timing is the way that it is. But one thing I do know is that God is using your waiting for your good. You might be like, come on, how can this be good? And I want so badly for Jesus to come back and to make things right. But I also know that every single day that we wait for Jesus to do that is another day for somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus to turn their life over to him and to be forgiven and to have this hope of eternal life. Every day that we wait for Jesus is a day to turn your life over to God. Or maybe you could think of family members, friends, neighbors, other people who need Jesus, and God has given us time to reach them with the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the waiting is tough and I, I don't know what's going on in the lives of everybody here in this room. Uh, this, the discouragement, the grief, the pain. But God, I really believe that the things will be better someday. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, uh, we can even have a, a small taste of what that will be like. Of having our sins forgiven, of, of experiencing healing and having that 
the burdens and the stresses of life remove. But this, what we experience in this life is just a glimpse of what is to come. And so I ask that you would give us hope and that we would wait expectantly for all of your promises to be fulfilled. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.